This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. When I was two years old, my parents moved from Belton, South Carolina, to a small mill village in South Carolina, Graniteville, in Aiken County. We lived in Graniteville until I was 10, for about eight years. Many of my childhood memories center around happenings during those eight years. Many early teachings were instilled in me in that time. I felt that the Graniteville Baptist Church, which was later renamed First Baptist Church of Graniteville, was almost my second home. Around 20 years later, while I was a student at Furman University, the opportunity arose for me to return to my childhood home, Graniteville, and even to the First Baptist Church there. A group of student volunteers had planned a trip to Graniteville to lead in the services of worship there on a Sunday morning. Of course, I did not have to be begged to go. Up until the day for us to leave, I had visualized in my mind all the memories that came flooding back to me as I relived childhood experiences. Then the Sunday came for us to go. I remembered the huge auditorium of that church and the spacious front lawn where I used to play as a little boy. I was filled with excitement and anticipation of seeing people who would remember me and also my seeing the church again. But little did I realize that I was in for a great shock. When we arrived at the church, I could not believe my eyes. The front lawn was still there, yes, but somehow it seemed to have shrunk through the years. It wasn't nearly as big as it was when I left it. And as we walked into the auditorium of the church, I I received my second shock. That huge auditorium certainly must have been renovated and compressed down to its present size, I thought. But no, as I looked around, I saw things that were like they were years before. The building had had not changed, but I had certainly changed a lot. But the greatest shock of that day came against my pride. How well I remembered the praise and the attention that the congregation always bestowed on me when I was the preacher's little red-headed boy. I was literally that. But now I was back on my own as a college student. And only few of those who remembered who I was made any to-do over me at all. To a multitude of children and young folks in that church, I was nothing more than just another one of those Furman students who had come for the day. That day, a truth descended upon me which I could not have been taught in any textbook in the world. I learned that I could not go home again and expect things to be the same. As J. Winston Pierce says, the hills and the mountains on which we played as children are not as high as they were. The rocks are not so big. The stream is not so wide. The house is not so large. The winters are not so cold. The food is not so tasty. 
Probably every day in America, there is some husband who complains to his wife, why can't you bake bread like my mother did? Well, the wife might well answer. She could say, well, it's because you don't make dough like my daddy did. <laughs> Poor people, they can't go home again. One of the stories which I consider one of the greatest of all the dramas of the Old Testament is the story of Joseph, the favorite son of Jacob, who was sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers. The Lord was with Joseph, and he increased in favor of his leaders until he became the prime minister of all of Egypt. Back in Canaan, a famine arose, and Jacob sent his sons to Egypt to buy grain. They had to come before Joseph, their brother, but while he recognized them, they did not recognize Joseph. He probably was wearing all kind of fancy regalia of clothes and priestly uh, kinds of garments. Joseph held Simeon while his brothers returned to bring Benjamin on their next trip. And after the brothers went and came back and brought Benjamin, as they started to leave Egypt with the grain they had bought, Joseph had a silver cup placed in Benjamin's grain bag, making it look like Benjamin had stolen it. This gave Joseph a reason to detain Benjamin back in Egypt. Then another one of Joseph and Benjamin's brothers, Judah, came forward and gave one of the most moving pleas I think was ever recorded in the Bible. It's found in the last part of Genesis 44. Joseph had said that Benjamin must remain in Egypt as a slave, but that his brothers could go back home. Judah says humbly that Joseph did not understand the situation fully. Judah said to Joseph, I, I cannot go home again without my brother because I promised my father that I would bring my brother Benjamin with me when I returned home. And Genesis 44 verse 32 tells us, For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Judah was saying in essence, My father is counting on me, and I cannot let him down. He's an old man now. And unless my brother Benjamin goes back home with me, I can't go home again. Now, if we may do so without reading into the Bible something that is not there, I'd like for us to learn the truth that without our brother, we can't go home again either. We are vitally dependent upon others to help us in life. This truth applies in so many different fields. For example, in agriculture. Susan Glasspell wrote a story called Pollen. In it, she says that a man named Ira Mead was the best farmer in the neighborhood. Again and again, his corn took first place, first prize at the county fair, and then again at the state fair. Wherever Ira's corn stopped and the neighbor's corn began, the good corn stopped and the nubbins began. The neighbors all tried their best to buy seed corn from Ira, but Ira was not in the mood to sell. He just said that he guessed he didn't have any seed corn for sale that year. 
He really wasn't going to share his prized corn with anybody. But you know what? The corn was sort of strange too. It liked to be neighborly. And so the corn began to visit. And where Ira's corn rows came up close to his neighbor's corn rows, there was cross fertilization. That year, some of the corn in Ira's field was poor, and some in his neighbor's field was good. When Ira tried to isolate his corn in some distant place, he found it didn't do too well. And so Ira took a basket of seed corn to his neighbor and told him all he knew about good corn. He had discovered that he could not continue to have good corn unless his neighbors had good corn also. You see, we are inseparably bound up with each other, with our brother. This same truth applies also to the matter of health. Let's suppose that there's a small town which gets the majority of its milk from a nearby dairy. When several people get sick, investigation shows that there's a typhoid germ present and the germ is traced to this particular dairy. Not one person in the world would take the position that it's this man's dairy, so it's up to this man to do what he wants to do about it. Oh no, when our lives, our health is involved, we are not content for one man to go home to health without his brothers in the community. This condition has to be taken care of immediately. You may have read in past years about uh, a chicken farmer whose chickens became infested with a highly contagious and fatal disease. And although he owned thousands of chickens, he was forced to kill them all for fear of spreading that disease throughout the nation. Our government paid that man a tidy sum to help offset his loss, but this chicken farm was not allowed to infect other such farms. We just cannot live in isolation in this world. All of us are in large measure dependent on those around us. In matters of health, you can't go home again without your brother. Now, we might take this idea and test it in other applications in our lives. What about economics? What about crime, juvenile delinquency, drug abuse, education? In education, for example, we cannot take the position of saying, I'll see to it that my child is educated, but I don't care anything about other people's children. If that were the feeling of the majority, we soon might find ourselves in the midst of an illiterate society from which we would, would spring all sorts of problems, crime, lawlessness, and the like. Judah said to Joseph, I can't go home without my brother. In substance, Judah was really saying, Mr. Prime Minister, my father's life is bound up in the life of his little boy. You do not know how my father can love his son. You do not know how he does love his son. And I'm sure Judah went on to say, not knowing the situation totally that he was speaking to his brother. Judah said, once I went home without another brother, Joseph, and that day I saw the light go out of my father's eyes. I saw his shoulders droop. His steps became slow. A lifelessness crept into the tone of his voice. And then and there, sir, said Judah to Joseph, 
I promised myself that never again would I go home without my brother. And that pledge stands, Mr. Prime Minister, unless you let me take my brother, I can't go home again. Well, we can let a thousand years roll by and we can hear this same truth in essence spoken from the lips of Jesus. Jesus said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. Go ye into all the world. Judah felt so keenly that he could not go home again without his brother until he finally said, Mr. Prime Minister, let the lad go up to his father. Let me abide instead of the land. Let me stay here as a bondsman, as a slave. This man would gladly have died if it cost to get that baby brother back home to his lonely old father. Now, if you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, there was a beautiful ending when Joseph finally revealed that he was indeed the brother who was sold into slavery so many years ago. How long has it been since you and I felt about some brother as Judah felt about Benjamin? Did you know God never intended that in this life we should try to go it alone? We were meant for each other and we desperately need each other. You remember the story in Genesis when God asked Adam, uh, or where's, where's uh, Abel? And uh, he, asked, he asked Cain that question, where, where's, where's your brother Abel? And Abel said, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer implied was, you're not only your brother's keeper, you're your brother's brother. There's one truth in scripture that goes all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. It's repeated out at the Bible in so many, many ways. That is, without your brother, you can't go home again. It may be that God is saying that to you and to me today. How much do we care about those all around us not only to provide financial assistance perhaps or care, but to give the good news of Jesus Christ so that when we go to heaven, there'll be others who say, I'm here in heaven because of you. You have brought your brother with you. Oh God, help us to be aware of those all around us who have so many needs and most of all, the need for love that Jesus came to give. Help us, Father, to show that love in our lives to others all around us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.